welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin, the podcast is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Check out all their podcast offerings, all their live events, everything they got going on over at OsirisPod.com. I got a great episode for you today, one I'm thrilled about because I get to talk about a musician I absolutely love. And I do that through an interview with Sequoia Manor. Assistant Professor of English at Spelman College. Sequoia is the author of the poetry collection Little Girl Blue and co-editor of the book Revisiting the Elegy in the Black Lives Matter Era. Her poem, entitled Upon Reading the Autopsy of Sandra Bland, was a finalist for the 2017 Gwendolyn Brooks Poetry Prize. Her essays, poems, and reviews can be found in venues the Langston Hughes Review, The Feminist Wire, Auburn Avenue, and a whole lot of other places. She is the author of the 33rd and a third book dedicated to Kendrick Lamar's seminal album, To Pimp a Butterfly, which is the focus of this episode. Breaking the global record for streams in a single day, nearly 10 million people around the world turned in to hear Kendrick Lamar's sophomore album in the hours after its release. To Pimple Butterfly was widely hailed as an instant classic, garnering laudatory album reviews, many awards, and even a canonized place in Harvard's W.E.B. Du Bois archive. Sequoia's book takes a deep dive into the sounds, images, and lyrics of To Pimple Butterfly to suggest that Kendrick appeals to the psyche of a nation in crisis and embraces the development of a radical political conscience. Kendrick breathes fresh life into black musical protest tradition and cultivates a platform for loving resistance. Combining funk, jazz, and spoken word, To Pimp a Butterfly's expansive sonic and lyrical geography brings a high level of innovation to rap music. His introspective and philosophical songs found on this brilliant work of art launched him into another stratosphere of stardom and influence, and the album is widely considered one of the most important albums released in years. In this episode, Sequoia and I explore how a trip to South Africa and the great Tupac Shakur inspired the themes and soundscapes of To Pimp a Butterfly. We discuss the impact the empowering track All Right had on the protest movement and Black Lives Matter. We discuss the collaborative effort it took to bring such a complex album to life and so much more. Sequoia, her wealth of knowledge about uh, Kendrick is amazing and it was such a delight to talk to her about her excellent book. Go grab a copy. So many stories in there. It's really got a lot going on. It's incredible. And I have no doubt you will enjoy this interview with Sequoia Manor. Podcast. So thank you again. I really, really appreciate you coming on the program. Um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this special, special album. Yeah, me too. And your special, special book about the album. I, lo- I love, uh, I love these deep dives, and, and you really got into it too. You talk about how you know the more you put into Kendrick, the more you get out of it, and the more you know you learn and grow from it. And you know that your book really does. Uh, does a good job of helping uh, you grow with the material. Um, I think a fun place would start is a little bit personally because you, you kind of jump off the whole thing with saying uh, this book springs from a personal place and I've been writing towards this book for many years. Uh, I thought that was very poignant. I'd love to hear you talk about kind of your connection that you have with them because there's something interesting there. Totally. Mm-hmm. Are we starting now? Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So it's interesting that you say the more that you dive into Kendrick, the more you get out because I was listening to the album again this morning. 
put on the record. And this time, you know, there's always kind of a different element that draws me in. This time it was the bass line. I was like, oh, who is the bassist on this album? Just blowing my mind. Thinking about it as like the center that holds so much together on this album. And it's just consistent, a kind of consistent groove throughout. So yeah, I kind of like learned something new about how I listen today. eight years after this album yeah, was released, yeah. which is just like really wild. I've listened to this album so many times in order to write the book, which yeah. started as a part of my dissertation. Mm. Um, but let me, let me go back. Let me sit into the question. So sure. when I, I, I kind of debated with the struggle of how much I wanted to tell about myself as uh, the writer of this book. And I really wanted to celebrate Kendrick and his artistry. Um, And I thought, oh, maybe there's other places to do that kind of personal work, like the poems, like poetry. Mm -hmm. But Kendrick and I, we're the same age. We're both 87 babies. We both grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up in Long Beach. You grew up in Compton. These are sister cities, right? Especially if you think about rap music and the legacy of rap, right? Mm -hmm. There's such a kinship between Compton and Long Beach. Dre and Snoop Dogg, all that, right? and both talented poets exactly Mm -hmm. um i first heard his work i would say when he had dropped um section 80 Mm -hmm. he was popping in la a little bit i was in stage of transition so it was 2010 i had gotten into graduate school Uh, i had started a new long-term relationship who i'm still with my husband Mm -hmm. after some 15 years right uh but in a massive stage of transition, and he was percolating on the radio, giving some hits, some radio plays, right? And I was like, this this, this person is talented. Uh, and different. when, yeah, when I moved to Austin, Texas in 2012, 20, 2011, something like that, Good Kid, Mad City came out, and this record just really spoke to my soul. I feel like Kendrick was telling a story about evolution, about transformation, about uh, tapping into one's purpose and true self and following, um, you know, one's desire, honing one's skill, becoming a master, making a kind of calculated decision about who you want to be in the world and seeing that through completely. And, you know, talking about growing up in LA as 87 babies, that's it. it, LA, gorgeous place, gorgeous place, also traumatic for black children, right? Mm -hmm. So Kendrick, you know, some of his early songs, he's talking about what it was like to be a child and see your neighborhood burn down around you right? In those 92 LA riots. That's Mm -hmm. one of my earliest memories, a distinct memory. At that time, I was in foster care in Los Angeles, right? So I'm a product of foster care. I have an intimacy with uh, child protective services, CPS, all of that kind of um, governmental um, kind of intrusion on family lives, right? Mm -hmm. So we grew up in the midst of the war on drugs and LA is a really special site to think about. It became a testing ground, right, Mm. for the militarization of police, right? So when we think about, you know, aerial technology, helicopters, that was honed in Los Angeles. When we think about SWAT teams, the first SWAT team was deployed in Mm. Los Angeles. Um, So all of that is a part of what informs me and um, informs how I move through the world. And I felt such a kinship with Kendrick, who had very different experiences, but came out of that place in Los Angeles, dedicated as as a poet, you know, a master poet Mm. uh, and storyteller, um, really invested in narratives of self-reflection and uplift, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's one other um, line you talk about when it's kind of like those little links you have. It says, we also share the embodied knowledge that music is capable of soothing a city burned barren by uprising. I thought that was beautiful. A lot of, of, um, you know, a a thing that goes through uh, the book, a through line through, you know, all this depth is 
the power of music and what, what it can do and, you know, how it can bring us up. And I think we'll get into that a whole bunch as we move through. I love um, how the book was arranged. And I was wondering if you speak about that. There's three words that kind of um, are, are at the center of, 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 you know, what you chose to do and how you chose to present it. And I was wondering if you could speak about that. It was rage, spirit, and love. Yeah. So the thing about the 33 and a third series, which I love so much, so much. Uh, is that it's really difficult <laughs> to write a short, <laughs> compact book like this, especially when you're dealing with an artist who's known for his long lines and layered meanings. It's yeah. like, how do you distill this down? And as yeah, I was like these long podcasts dedicated to the album, we've seen these larger books and <laughs> to bring it down to what you've had to do. That must have been challenging large books and like not even just podcast episodes right like season long podcasts <laughs> yeah exactly. series yep. um yep. so as i was composing um there was a part of me that wanted to stay true to the trajectory of the album so mm. this album starts in a dark place where kendrick is laying out where he is at this time as an artist he has experienced success, mm. fame. He's at a new kind of echelon, right? He's experiencing these new things uh, uh, as a pop and artist. And with that comes trouble, yeah. um, new kinds of trouble that he couldn't have even dreamed, right? Of the new um, having to think of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. More money, more problems, right? Yeah. Um. And so we start with themes of exploitation, of feeling depleted, of being pulled back by the old demons that he thought that he had vanquished, of feeling stuck and doomed, right? Of feeling pimped by an industry. Mm -hmm. um, and then over the course of time, we encounter lessons, morals, uh, new experiences, a wrestling with the inner self such that we get to a place of enlightenment, a place of uh, a kind of new, more capacious understanding, right? We get to a place where there is a kind of determination to still be good, to still be great, to mm -hmm. still uncover new parts of the self, right? Like there's a kind of resilience. So I wanted to track that kind of narrative progress. Um, so we start with rage. Mm -hmm. uh, and each section opens with um, a quote. And mm -hmm. if you don't mind, I'll just read this quote that I use for rage. I would love so that. The, from... the quotes are amazing. They're beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, this is from James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. He writes, all you are ever told in this country about being Black is that it is a terrible, terrible thing to be. Yeah. Now, in order to survive this, you have to really dig down into yourself and recreate yourself, really, according to no image which mm -hmm. yet exists in America. And I'm like, I can't say it better than James Baldwin, right? Like, Kendrick yeah. is deeply invested in digging deep into himself in uh, wrestling through this uh, tragic relationship with the American structure, right? Uh, and continuing onward, um, rooted in, in like self-knowledge. That's a, that's a beautiful narrative. Mm -hmm. Now, the second, the second section of the book, the second chapter, it's called spirit. Mm -hmm. And I kind of chuckle because I've already gotten some kind of negative critiques about this section, but I am so unabashed about it. I'm like, I don't care. I did what I did because I had to do it. <laughs> so spirit, spirit is all about the way that Kendrick channels uh, the most important ancestor to him who is Tupac Shakur it's all throughout his canon of work not just this album right but so many songs where he is referencing uh wrestling with thinking about paying homage to paying tribute to and on this album Tupac Shakur is a silhouette on the album he's a shadowy figure he is a spirit guide right who literally is conjured on the last track right yeah in such a powerful way. So spirit is 
thinking about how Kendrick at once relates to, embraces Tupac mm -hmm. for all that he is and his messiness and unruliness, but also distances himself, also pulls away. Like this is a new Kendrick that says, Tupac, Tupac's philosophy informed me, informed mm -hmm. me as an artist and as a person. And yet I have also self-defined myself, right? I've moved yeah. beyond just moving through his legacy, which mm -hmm. is phenomenal to me. This is Kendrick coming into yeah. his own independence. Pushing back on, on him a little bit and more, we'll get into more of on Mortal Man when he's talking about, you know, the, again, moving against violence and the only hope we, you know, kind of have left is music and vibration. And I just want to say briefly, I, that, that, uh, that critique kind of bothers me. It's, I mean, just uh, like I said, we'll, we'll dig in deeper to have questions about Tupac, but it is such a big part to the, I mean, when he's winning his Grammy just the other day, he has a little clip on his belt with a picture of Tupac on him. I mean, it's just, it's everything to him and, and digging into how that affected him and this album is absolutely crucial. And that being at the center of the book seemed completely right. And let me just say, so it's at the center of the album. Mm -hmm. Literally, Kendrick has talked about in interviews how he wanted the title originally of this album to be To Pimp a Caterpillar rather than To Pimp a Butterfly. And that, you know, the acronym of that would be, be Tupac. Tupac it's right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but also I want to say, I think, it's really important to stress, like for, I'm going to go back to this, right? Mm -hmm. So this for 87 babies in Los Angeles, Tupac was a larger than life figure mm -hmm. for us, right? And by the time he is murdered, you know, we're only nine or 10 years old, but that death was huge in my life, huge in my family, huge in the community, like the out the morning, um, that happened, you know, for particularly LA babies. And it was because even though Tupac came from New York and then Baltimore and then settled on the West Coast, he made these LA anthems. California he wrote love. hard for yeah. LA. Yeah. California love to well, live and die in LA. Right? I've always been, I've always been well aware that as much as I can study Tupac, listen to him, I could never understand what someone from LA, especially, you know, your age range or around there could you know uh, we're getting from him or what they feel about him it's just something I, I can't get but I see it I see how powerful it is and still right like Tupac yeah. holds such a mythological weight mm. and um you know I want to say so Kendrick he talks about his origin story right like mm. every rapper artist has an origin story and for Kendrick yeah. it starts with Tupac he talks about being in the studio really late one night uh being in that trance space that artists enter into and being visited upon by the ghost of tupac in yeah. which after this visitation kendrick decides that he is going to be a moral rapper right that he doesn't have time for inconsequential rhymes right that he is going to rhyme with purpose that's everything. That's. I yeah. also want to tell one more story about the two Please, Kendrick connection, it. if you don't mind. I, I don't. He also, yeah, he also <laughs> tells the story of being something like eight years old, maybe mm -hmm. younger than that. Or I think he's like six years old. Yep. He's in Compton. Tupac is in town with Dr. Dre to shoot the video for California Love. Now, not the video that we all know that is the big one. Oh, yeah. It's a low budget one that was shot before the big budget mm -hmm. one was, you know. But he's at the swap meet. The crowds are gathering. Baby Kendrick is on his daddy's shoulders watching his idol Tupac. Like, Amazing. are you kidding me? Game changing. Absolutely game changer. Yeah. It's in, and there was, you know, another one of those quotes and, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see how, you know, how he affected Tupac. And you kind of allude to the fact that kind of Kendrick grew into what, you know, we will never get to see what Tupac uh, was going to become. And it's obviously going to be something really, really special. But we're having this opportunity now with Kendrick to see him grow from where Tupac was and kind of taking it in different place. And I just love that quote. I don't know if it really speaks to Kendrick. We'll find out or if it speaks to someone else. But I'm not saying... I'm going to change the world. This is Tupac talking and you we have it in your book, but I guarantee it will spark the brain that will change the world. And it just has me thinking like, man, what, so if what if he's really on it? Yeah. Right. It's so precious. Uh, and like, I don't know, we go on and on about Tupac for days, but he was such an artist. Like even if he was 
tortured, even if at times he was misguided, um, he was always purposeful about his intention. Like, you know, one thing about him, he would go into the booth and record 20 songs back to back. Yeah. He's like, you can mix them later. You can master them later. I don't care. I need to. That's how you end up with 11 out. albums after you're done. <laughs> That's how it happens. Tell yeah. me about it. Right. Yeah. But yeah. this tells me that he is someone who is compelled by yeah. a need to speak, to document, to yeah. tell the story, to, you know, yeah, to document his own growth too. I mean, there's mistakes in there you're talking in and that's what we see in Kendrick too. I mean, it's just, it's pure them. It's pure honesty and just mm -hmm. putting it out there. Um, mm -hmm. This I'm going to take this Tupac thing and link it to my next question. Cause Tupac found a lot of, um, you know, kind of grew into something different in prison and um, uh, Kendrick kind of grew into something different in his trip to uh, South Africa, changed him a, a whole bunch. And, um, it inspired this masterpiece. And I'd love to hear you talk about how, because it was really something clicked there and it was cool to have see it explored in your book. Yeah, so thank you for getting me there. The yeah. third and final chapter is titled Love. And mm -hmm. this is where we see the full kind of arc of the narrative take shape. Mm -hmm. If we started in a place of deep depression and spiraling anger and rage, it's upon this trip when Kendrick is able to get out Outside of his home space to get outside of the geographical space of Compton, outside of the geographical space of the United States, when he witnesses a kind of diasporic blackness, when he sees um, uh, uh, when he sees familiarity mm -hmm. and uh, kind of acceptance and different formations of being, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them violent, some of them not so violent. So when he goes abroad, he notices like, oh, there have been these skirmishes, these gang violences, right? This Zulu and Dosa, we see it over there, right? Um, this is the same thing that we're doing in Compton. But I also see that there are other ways of being, that there are other formations. And if we can get outside of ourselves, if we, if we can get outside of these constructions, if we can imagine beyond what America feeds into us, mm -hmm. we can be beautiful butterflies, right? We can transcend uh, whatever is holding us down. And so he talks about going on this process of self-discovery and he really roots that journey in South Africa in particular, right? Around the narrative of Nelson Mandela as a freedom fighter who is imprisoned for so long, right? And leads uh, an anti-apartheid movement that is so powerful and comes, you know, we might think about how that movement comes back to the America, to America and shames America saying like, look at you and your Jim Crow laws, right? Um, you are just as, uh, kind of oppressive, right, as these other systems that you condemn. And, you know, Kendrick takes in all of this knowledge, gains new perspectives, and vows to bring those morals and those lessons back to the people uh, that he loves. And uh, something that is so just remarkable for me about this album and Kendrick as an artist is how he's so easily and he so easily says I love you mm. to mm. men mm. on this album mm -hmm. right not a romantic love yeah. not a sexualized sexualized mm. love but a deep uh human kinship I see you brother yeah. we are connected spiritual love and he expresses that many times on the latter part of this album, right? So he's thinking about community and healing mm -hmm. and transformation. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, you don't not only see that not in just hip hop, but in music. You don't you don't hear that too much. That that male, you know, you know. I, I love hearing more and more people saying. Um, men saying just you could say I love you my, me and my friends are saying I love you I think people are growing into it and from things like that um, it was and also, it feels I, so good it right? feels good and why was like, it why was it not a thing you hear that joy you yeah. hear that joy in Kendrick's voice and it's infectious yeah. and one of the things that's been beautiful to see it how this album was taken up in the moment when it was released but how it still gets referenced yep. is to see particularly 
men. And I want to talk about men because Kendrick says, I made this album specifically for men and those who are in prison, in prison men, right? So he's thinking about a target audience. And if you think about this album cover. College kids too, right? Didn't he say like people in prison and college kids? Because those are people, because he wanted to make it, your line was like, he wanted to make it a course for them, right? Something like that. Yeah. Exactly. You got it. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, you're such a close reader. (laughs) (laughs) Such a good book. That makes me feel great. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so he's thinking about what um, uh, what a syllabus, right? What a a syllabus of healing might look like Mm -hmm. for those for those populations, Mm -hmm. which to me is so transformative. Absolutely. What a South Africa was also very interesting, too, because it was, I guess it was a point you were describing how, you know, I guess it would be hard. And he obviously talks a lot about a self-doubt and, uh, you know, believing you are a leader or can be a leader. And he kind of learned there that a musician can be a leader. Is that correct? Like that a musician has that power, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And even with, yeah, and even with the knowledge uh, that one can be a leader and that he can and should step into this position there's still a lingering fear right like I think about the last song that closes this album Mortal Man which is like mm-hmm. 10 minute you know the thesis thesis yeah, yeah it's so good mm-hmm. but the beginning part of the song where he's really contemplating leadership uh, you ain't the leader. like yeah, but also he's thinking about, you know, with leadership comes uh, killing forces. He's thinking about men who have been assassinated mm. quite literally or, uh, you know, economically or, you know, uh, in their image and reputation. Uh, yeah, he's thinking about duty and respect responsibility and the weight of that so I don't think that we come to a kind of pretty ending at this album there's still so much uncertainty there about what his future might look like as a leader and the longevity of that right this is an album where Kendrick is really interested in the lifespan of an artist and in the lifespan of a powerful black man which it seems like in this country has a you know as Tupac says at the end of this album you know like I I got until 33 or something like that right and then America takes the soul out of a black man and Kendrick is testing that right he's approaching that age right we're the same age so I know he's coming on his 36th birthday right and Mm -hmm. he's thinking about the tremendous accomplishment right Um, yeah of that feat it's really, really, really intense. Um, you know, we're, we're speaking a little to that uh, that self doubt and what we see. I mean, still so much too. And um, you know, big steppers. I was curious. Do you look at the album now? Uh, it, uh, looking back at to Pimp a Butterfly, do you look at it now after digging into Big Steppers and seeing where he's at and and you know what he's still analyzing and struggling with? What's I'm just kind of you know a little off track asking that question, but I was just curious what you thought looking back. Totally. Um... For me, I think I regard all of his albums as a continuing kind yeah. of autobiographical mm-hmm. study yeah. um, and a, a kind of journaling um, that is so kind of intimate and personal. And I don't want to take away from his artistry because on the other hand, Kendrick is someone who is a master of the persona, mm-hmm. the master of using voices and you know telling stories from different angles. And there's so much innovativeness and uh uh like uh ambiguity right like is it Kendrick's autobiography yeah or is he telling a story from someone else it's all kinds of perspectives it's that that's the thing that you gotta dig deep and and work for it and figure it out it's wild yeah yeah he makes you work for it (laughs) it's worth it but yeah so I think about his albums really chronologically and how they build on each other and it's interesting because big steppers i think about big steppers and to pimp a butterfly in really close um relationship Mm -hmm. but they're so different sonically right Mm -hmm. big steppers are so pared down scaled back on the first listen i was like ah, it's good it's good 
I think I was in another zone too, right? Mm -hmm. I was listening to some like classic rock and a different kind of vibe. But when I came back to the album, I got the vinyl, I put on my record player, turned off the lights, laid on the floor. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) this album is incredible. And then when I saw the tour, the tour, Mm -hmm. the most recent tour was phenomenal. And the performance, the aesthetics of it really enhanced, right? Um, Because I don't know, something about Big Steppers, it's to me thinking about the voice and the texture of his voice is yeah. so subdued on this album and he moves so quickly in this yeah. kind of internal monologue that it was hard for me to pick up the layers that he was yeah. he was um, setting down. But when it comes to interiority, mm-hmm. when thinking about the growth of the self, when thinking about how to be the best person in the world, when yeah. thinking about... Uh, and morality and what that means for Kendrick and how to define immorality for mm-hmm. the self. I think that these two albums are, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, there, there's, there's, there's some, something there that kind of brings them together. I'm with you though. When I saw uh, the big Severs tour, there's something about seeing him physically move and he does it purposefully. You talk about it a whole bunch. We talk about his Grammy performance. He thinks about how he's moving for each word and seeing him move with each word and each phrase, it did something to me where I was like getting something in a different way because I was seeing it brought to life in a visual visual way. Um, I think it's so important always to talk about mental health and uh, hip hop. And and you talk about how, you know, to pimp a butterfly really contributes to the discourse on mental health. And we've touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to hear you talk about it a little bit more because it is, you know, it's you, you talk about that part where he was, getting some critiques critiques about being preachy. And he's like, the majority of the album is me, you know, talking about my faults. And I think there's power in that. And we've seen it. You mentioned some of the other artists from Mac to, to a bunch of other people who've done that, but um, it's important and he does it and he, he keeps doing it. And I, I'd love to hear you speak on that some, because it, because it matters. Oh man, it matters so much. And like when I see people reference this album it's mostly in terms of mental health and feeling Mm -hmm. like this album has become a conduit a kind of legitimizing force to help them articulate and understand and also be okay with and explore whatever might be going on um, with the individual and I mean uh, like it's a big question because there's so many songs that speak directly to it right yeah it's a loaded question for sure yep one of the one of the things that strikes me about this album is the way that Kendrick approaches suicidal ideation. Mm. Um, and it occurs several times on the album. I'm thinking about you, right? Yeah, this is li- dark. I mean, it's so dark. And I don't know that we have ever gotten a song in the hip hop canon that literally uh, performs a nervous breakdown. I can't think of one. The way you described too, you brought us into the the studio too, where he was performing it, and um, he this it sounded really intense with him, you know, in a dark room, you know, uh, doing that, you know, working on that song. It's a lot. The dark room, pacing back and forth, yeah. lights off, yeah. And I also think about a song like "All Right," um, mm-hmm. and the insistence that no matter, I don't know. Sorry, I'm not being eloquent on this question because there's so much there. Yeah, it's, 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 about- it's, a, it's a lot. It's definitely it's I mean, it's I, I like there was this part, though, when you talked about how um, he was thinking kind of this because this album really does deal with, uh, you know, one of the themes and you've gotten into it, too. It's just, you know, now he's gotten to a point of success and now he's dealing with these. The hazards are different. The rules are different. The dangers are different. The lessons are different. But, you know, uh, he he contributes to the mental health thing by um, thinking through the ways uh, wealth is alienating. It's uh, transitory, burdensome, and maddening for the black artist. So it's 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 him, you know, dealing with that in front of us was vulnerable. It was honest. So vulnerable, but yeah. there are so many different um, directions in which he approaches the topic. Right. Yep. So it's yep. not only the maddening perspective of the black artist in an industry that is limiting. It is also the black artist who has found success, but is also 
still deeply tied to a home space that is troubled, right? So as he's on tour, as he's experiencing the highest highs of his life, right, in the motherland, in Africa, he's also receiving news from home, right, that people have died, right? Um, People that he loved, right, have died. And then if we think more broadly, I think what he's struggling with is this topic of survivor's guilt in general, right? Like, Mm -hmm. what does it mean that I have gotten out, that I have made it, right? That Mm -hmm. I have achieved this height. It don't mean nothing if I'm not bringing people with me. How do I do that? How how do I do that properly? Like so much pressure uh, weighing on one's shoulders. Like one of the things about this album and it even kind of seems elementary to say, but maybe we just need it as listeners and as an audience, the way that it validates whatever your skill is, whatever you are a master in, right? You can channel, you can channel uh, uh, whatever might weigh you down, right? Into something constructive. Um, and it's not, there's no shame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no shame in confronting the darkest parts of you, the confounding parts of you, the rageful parts of you. And in fact, it's necessary. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's the thing. I mean, that's I think you summed up the mental health thing in a major way there because there is no shame in it and there's no shame in talking about it. And when you see people like this that you respect, admire, and are just so boldly doing it. It's it's super inspiring and, and allows to, you mentioned all right, let's get into the all right of it. Um, you know, it affect the the freedom movement, which which is described as kind of the largest social movement of the 21st century. It had uh, powered, you know, uh, your organizational work for, you know, um, for, for Sandra Bland and, and just like the movement in a whole major way. And I'd love to hear, you talk about how it gave power to a protest movement because it really, really did, and it was it, it was exciting to see on you know on the streets and across across the nation. I forgot that I mentioned my organi- organizing work for Sandra Bland, and I'm glad that it's in there because mm-hmm. earlier when we started this podcast, you know, I mentioned those dates, right? So Good Kid, Mad Kitty comes. Good Kid, Mad City comes out in 2012. It's important that that's in the wake of Trayvon Martin. Yeah. There is a lot going on in this country emotionally in the streets, demonstrations, protests, and that album becomes such um, like a vehicle for folks to express all of the feelings of the time, right? The rage, the hope, like all of it is in that album. When To Pimp a Butterfly comes out in 2015, this is on the wake, in the wake of Mike Brown's killing in Ferguson, the year-long uprising that would occur. This, there is so much going on in the country at this time. You're like really taking me back. I'm thinking about how we had takeovers at brunch. You remember Mm -hmm. like in wealthy spots and theaters where people were, uh, so many demonstrations, political disruptions, right? People literally hopping on stage with political candidates saying, well, can you talk about mass incarceration? Can we address police cameras? Can we talk about police brutality in this country? Such a confrontation. Uh, so at that time, 2015, I was living in Austin, Texas. Love that city uh, for its music, uh, but also a city where the swiftest gentrification was happening, oh where uh, police were militarizing in really terrifying ways. Mm. You know, they call Austin, Texas, a blue bu- bubble in a red state. It's not really true. It's more like purple, um, but a beautiful city, but so mm. much turmoil happening on the ground. I was in graduate school. I was teaching, but I was also demonstrating. I was also organizing for Sandra Bland. I was also performing poetry, all of the things. So when this album came out, and I will say two songs, mm-hmm. uh, Kendrick's All Right, but also Beyonce's Freedom. Mm. Those were two songs that you heard at demonstrations, in mm. these spaces, at the protests, at the massive die-ins, right? Mm. Uh, people, I remember uh, when uh, All Right came out as the single on a Friday night. Mm. I went to the club on a Saturday 
And this club, it was one of the few little lounges that was like an all black space that was left in Austin. And in mm. fact, it was on the out, it was on the outskirts of town, like dangerous to drive to, nothing out there. But people would flock there on Saturday because you know that there would be people, there would be community, you could have a good time without being disrupted, harassed, all the things, right? We're sweaty, we're dancing, there's a DJ, the host gets up, and he gets real serious. And he says something to the effect of, y'all, at this point, I need you to look left, I need you to look right, I need you to look around this room, recognize who's in here, and we're all going to get it to this song. And then you hear, da, 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 then that bass drops, the whole club simultaneously, right? And we're like feeling ourselves and feeling our bodies, and there's a feeling that nothing can stop you at that moment, right? We gonna be all right, like no matter, you know, uh, these things that we face. I just gave me shivers. I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It was like a concert experience without Kendrick even being there, right? But like the day after the single dropped. Yeah. That's how powerful and potent it was. Yeah. And just like a little bit, like the backstory of mm-hmm. him making this song is hilarious to me. I included it in the book because I was just so tickled. Pharrell had this beat. Uh, I also, like, I'm a huge Pharrell fan. I oh, want to yeah. write a book about him one day. Oh, like, please. huge. I think, yep. I think that he's understudied. But Pharrell had this beat. He had been shopping it around for a while. Uh, a couple people had gotten on the track, but it wasn't quite in hitting. Mm-hmm. And then Kendrick had something that he wanted to say. They got together. He gets on the beat, and Pharrell says he completely transformed the way that I had thought about this song. Yeah. I knew that it was going to be a hit, right? And he's like, we weren't interested in protests. We weren't thinking about demonstrations. We just had a message to say, and I wanted to give it the best vehicle, the best package yeah. for Kendrick's delivery. So, like, that combination, the atmosphere. I also want to say, I'm so sorry. I, I, I love it. I, so yeah, I love hearing you talk about kind of go, go, go. I think the other important thing to think about for this backdrop is that we're at a pivotal time, uh, a kind of changing of the guards, right? So there's a political campaign happening. Mm-hmm. This is the end of Barack Obama's Going second term. Yep. Going into Trump, there is a sea change. There is a kind of backlash a white lash that is happening in this country and this album captures that yeah it captures the feeling of that the tension the precarity and then i and then on kind of uh the other side of that too the album gave us in like in a song like this the energy to try to move forward i mean because it could you know that type of change that you're speaking about is is debilitating sometimes and that type of energy and that type of joy that's in that song i love uh, that you talked about him when you were talking about this is he represents a new type of g-funk hero for the black um matter age and beyond i thought that was a really really cool way to say it um i want to bring us home with um kind of as you do in the book and 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 with some some hope and love there was a part when you were talking about i that i really really touched me and you you're speaking personally and Kendrick was, you know, in, in the song, he's talking about himself smiling. And so you wrote, when I hear Kendrick so unabashedly claim his smile, my world opens up. And even I, a sullen girl with a pessimistic worldview, I can believe in a in a uh, loving world. And I thought that was beautiful. And so that song, obviously, and it means a lot to people. And and you, ca- you do close with it, right? I think that's the last song you do talk about. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about what that means Mm -hmm. to the album and to you personally, because I thought that was just really special way to put it. You are quoting all of my favorite lines (laughs) of this book, and I am so appreciative of you right now. So now I'm getting chills. Um, I is incredible. So I was the first single off the album, but it was released like way, way, way before the album came out. I want to say like at least six months before. It was so strange because everyone was anticipating, like, what is Kendrick going to do with this next album, right? Everyone was, like, attuned. And then I dropped, and it was was weird. Like, the song was really successful, but it was also a really strange song. It kind of had this cheesy, you know. It felt like um, pop. Could have felt like a pop it, direction for him. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying it. Yeah, right. Yep. So we're yeah, it was very poppy. It had what I what might have been thought of as kind of like a predictable sample. Um uh um and the message. The message was so overtly uh positive. 
I love myself. (laughs) And, you know, and like, I feel like critics, cynical critics are really like, okay, Kendrick Mm -hmm. went in a new direction. Let's see what's happening. And then, of course, he follows up with the black or the berry, which is the most seething, rageful, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, we see that Kendrick is playing with like counterpoints, right? And juxtaposition. He's going to give us all the range. Now, when the album dropped, I was like, okay, I'm not really excited to listen to I. We had heard I for how many months? Six months, eight months, right? Like, I'm I'm over I. But then I get to the album version. Yeah. It is a live recording of the song mm-hmm. that, um, I don't want to call it a remix, a dubbing. It is, yeah. It's a live versioning. It's a live mm-hmm. versioning, right, of what he originally gave us that is so full in sound, very dynamic, the backup singers, mm-hmm. like the band is, you know, the the production on that song is quite beautiful. And it's also restaged, right? So some of the lyrics are changed, but it's also mm-hmm. restaged such that the song becomes a live performance. Mm-hmm. So Kendrick is like really in his bag on this. He's very meta, right? Like <laughs> the performer performing on the album, thinking about like what it means to perform, right? Mm-hmm. And during this live performance, the song um, gets disrupted because a fight has broken out in the audience. And Kendrick is like, hold up, hold up, hold up. We're not going to do this here. And this is where he gives us the central nugget of this entire album that, uh, you know, this entire narrative that has been building up is that we need to love one another, right? And this is also the song that's remarkable, right? Because as he's talking to the audience saying, we can't keep doing this. They're already killing us, right? Like, why are we doing this? This is senseless. And he says, I say this because I love you. I say this because I love you, right? It's that kind of insistence. And he says, you know, how excuse me, I'm cursed a little bit. He says, how many niggas we done lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much grief do we have to go to before we stop killing ourselves, right? Um, uh, and then the song continues and it goes to like this really beautiful place. But I just think about how genius. Yeah. And also it, how, uh, the, I think what you're speaking to also is like we heard it out of context. And it was, you know, obviously uh, fun, but when you hear his work in context and hear this, as you describe it, as this continuous story that he's telling and, you know, once you get it into this bigger piece that it's supposed to live in, it just, it becomes more powerful. And especially with the way he rearranged or how we describe that, it just brought a new energy to it. It's his, his work is, is, his, you know, it's taking as a whole, I think is just the way to do it. And and, and his, he makes uh, you know, albums still matter in a way that I, you know, I, I, I admire and want to see more of. And something that speaks to the intention on I think about mm. on how this new live versioning, he brings in Ronald Isley to re-record the vocals of the original sample, which yep. adds such depth mm-hmm. and newness to what was there. And he talks about going on a trek to St. Louis, right? Mm-hmm. Knocking on Ronald Isley's door saying, can you please do this for me? Right? Like not going specifically going on this journey right yeah. to you know to 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 make the song what it could be right yeah. and I, yeah yeah and it's such a hat tip to the person that he's using the sample too as well yeah. um i do want to point out to all the listeners that i feel like we talked about so much and we still didn't talk about like that much that was in the book too i mean we didn't talk about prince we didn't talk about the collaboration the west coast get down there's just so many pieces and we'll leave that for them because there's a lot to dig into. And just 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 like we started out talking about, the more you give into it, the more you study it, the more you know Kendrick, what he's trying, what his intention is, what he's talking about, the better. And that's what your book does. It really helps all of us who love this book love it even more. Love, love, love the album, love it even more because of your book. So thank you for that. We all appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Michael. This was a blast. This is a world premiere. This is a world premiere. This is a world premiere. I done been through a whole lot. Trial, tribulation, but I know God. Satan wanna put me in a bow tie. Pray that the holy water don't go dry, yeah, yeah. As I look around me, so many motherfuckers wanna tell me. But they know me gon' never drown me. In front of a dirty double mirror, they felt me. And I love myself. The world is a ghetto, big guns and dicky eyes.
This podcast is In The Loop, the legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.